It is Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to join us, take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 is the phone number to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I don't track these things very closely because at the moment, it really has no direct meaning to me and my life what the cryptocurrency values are doing. But as I understand it, Bitcoin... It plummeted to below $50,000 a day or two ago, and it's since regained a little bit back to the 51000 price range. And there's all sorts of things to say about cryptocurrency and what's going on right now. Of course, nobody really understands why the value of Bitcoin plummeted almost 20%, no. I think. And anyone who claims to, I just write off as ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can identify, okay, well, this is a contributing factor. But, any, but anyone who's like, oh, this is the reason why this happened, no one knows. And yeah. no one knows what it's going to do next. Although, based on historical trends, I'm still saying that we're likely to see extreme gains in December and January. I sure hope so. I mean, that would be nice. I mean, um, that tends to be how this goes during the winter months. Tends to, but there's no guarantees that no, there's you know, old patterns are going to continue to repeat themselves. Um, and, and you're referencing the fact that both you and I are prohibited from from actually using cryptocurrency under some ridiculous yes. uh, bail conditions in the Crypto6 case. You can learn more about that at thecrypto6.com. But I still find myself absolutely transfixed and fascinated by what goes on in uh, the crypto world. There's always so many really interesting developments and exciting things happening out there. And you know, the governments are, are sweating. And absolutely. that is fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, I can't use cryptocurrency or access cryptocurrency or engage with it in meaningful in any meaningful sense, right? right? But I can watch it from a distance, and I love what I'm seeing. And I know that a lot of my friends are, you know, deep within that world, and they're doing everything they can to advance cryptocurrency acceptance and the technology behind it, and that all of those things can happen without government permission. Uh, it's just such a wonderful thing. I was just uh, saw a post from Eric Voorhees, who's a, a Free State Project participant. He's the founder of Shapeshift, which is one of the earliest uh, sort of permissionless shape um, websites that allow you to change from one cryptocurrency into another. And they recently decentralized. Uh, yeah, they're in the process still of becoming a decentralized okay. autonomous organization. They have not yet fully shut down the corporation, from what I understand, but they are in the process and they expect to do that uh, sometime, I think, within the next several months, maybe the next year at most. Um, they've created the decentralized autonomous organization. It is essentially running the ship at this point over there. Nice. And they're making proposals and voting on them. And I think they just got listed on Coinbase, uh, the Shapeshift Fox token, which uh, is doing very, very well from what I understand. So, See, and that makes me sad because I never paid any attention to the Shapeshift Fo- Fox token. I never kept track of what my login information mm-hmm. was. So anytime I wanted to use Shapeshift, I just created a new, a account, new account, right? Mm-hmm. So over the years, I probably amassed a fair bit of these Fox tokens. Not that it would do me any good right now, but it would still be nice yeah. if I had even bothered to keep track of them. Well, at some point, presumably you will no longer be on bail conditions and you could, you know, <laughs> access those things again. Maybe That's they'll true. be worth more than when you went on bail conditions. Who knows? I could definitely but, brute force what email addresses and passwords were in use at the time. He posted a link or he posted a video on his Twitter profile to this Gary Gensler character who is the head goon over at the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is the federal government gang 
uh, agency that regulates like stock trading and stuff like that. It's uh, unclear what they do because I'm not really sure what a security is. I or- have no idea. I've looked it up time and time again. I'm just not a you know I'm not one of these fiscal experts right. or whatever. I mean, they make this stuff to be as confusing as possible. Yeah, and so this Gensler, uh, he's you know he's the head goon. He's the one who's been putting his nose as deeply as it can go up these uh, c- cryptocurrency companies and making their life very, very difficult. He's the guy that brought the lawsuit against Library and Odyssey, for instance. and He also other- threatened to go after Coinbase, who has yeah. been you know, massaging politicians in Washington, D.C. He, the SEC, I believe, was the only organization they couldn't get in touch with when they went to Washington, D.C. I think you might be right about that. And so anyway, what he was, you know, he's blathering on about how, you know, innovation is happening and it all needs to be done under the umbrella of the government and just really just making it sound like it's because of the government is why things are innovative. And it's not just anything to be further from the truth. Well, that's I mean, it's sort of true, right? The government creates hurdles and roadblocks and people have to find innovative ways around those hurdles and roadblocks. That's one way to look at it. For sure. So in that sense, government does cause innovation, but not in the way that this government goon wants to wants people to believe. Yeah. And Eric was pointing out that all the exciting innovation is happening in the crypto sphere where government is not involved for the most part. I mean, the government gang wants to be involved. They really want to regulate. They really want to control this particular area. And they're they're doing their damnedest to try. Yeah. But ever since 2009, 2010 or so that. That ship has long sailed. It's way beyond the reach of governments at this point. Well, they're doing their best. I mean, they are cracking down on exchanges and individuals, individuals. and uh, they, you know, and they want to go after stable coins now as well. So anybody that's got a centralized location inside the United States or in any other governmental zone, the European Union or whatever, look out because these guys are after you. Uh, they understand that you're a threat. They've they've woken up now. Okay, so it used to be. You know, in the early days, it was like, oh, crypto, what's that? Oh, they're just yeah. buying drugs with it online. Well, we'll just <laughs> we'll just arrest the drug uh, drug website operators and put them in prison for uh, two life sentences and plus forty years, or one of them. They haven't done that to any of the other ones. I'm not saying they should, but poor Ross Ulbricht is uh, going to spend the rest of his life in in prison unless uh, he gets a pardon or a commutation from Joe Biden. That seems highly unlikely. Although I still hope for the best. Uh, well, but, with his VP being Kamala, Kamala Harris, yeah. it's not extremely likely well, but with joe biden being one of the worst arch drug warriors in the u.s history i mean i think he's written some of the drug war yeah you know worst of the worst legislation so yeah. he was at least in the senate when it happened i mean he he created the drug war he at least played a role in its creation for sure and uh so anyway they're trying their damnedest to uh, to crack down on cryptocurrency but it's uh, it's a tough game because you know all the, like uh, Voorhees is saying all the innovation is happening uh, outside of their reach and you know if it's if finance truly becomes decentralized then there's nothing that they can do about it ultimately no except- that's big their biggest fear yes yeah and that's what this guy was uh this gensler was commenting on about DeFi versus central finance and there They're really wasn't to much to it obsolete yeah he, well he's not going to admit that but that's essentially what hillary clinton said the other week she actually said our time is running out Oh, she said time something has, like that. Their time has run out. Yeah. I mean, they're they're done. They're on their way out. They've been defeated. They just don't realize it yet. And they're yeah, going I like to, that viewpoint. They're going to make some extremely devastating actions in their death throes, but they are in the throes of death. Although the CIA doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. They 
have a number of different projects focused on cryptocurrency, saying that they are deep in cryptocurrency. And that's alarming. There's a long-running conspiracy theory among a small number of cryptocurrency enthusiasts that Bitcoin's anonymous inventor, Satoshi Nakamoto, was actually the CIA, or another three-lettered agency. We had a lady call in one night, and she seemed crazy, uh, and she was advocating this particular conspiracy theory. There's no evidence for it whatsoever. Uh, It's just pure conjecture. Yeah, I certainly don't buy it, and I don't think there's any cryptocurrency enthusiasts out there who believe that it was actually created by the CIA. Yeah, well, usually when you hear that mentioned, it's used as an excuse to not get into Bitcoin. It's usually somebody who is a critic of Bitcoin saying, oh, I wouldn't touch that. It was the CIA behind Bitcoin. Yeah, the C in Bitcoin stands for CIA. Which makes no sense um, when you actually, you you don't have to think about it real long. I, I don't think the people who advocate this particular conspiracy theory know anything about bitcoin they just know oh well this is a big financial thing and so therefore government must be behind it um the key point one of the key points about bitcoin is that it's open source and that's sort of counter to what the cia is all about they're all about secrecy like they're a secret organization they have secret torture facilities they have secret programs secret black budgets why in the world would they release a program that is visible to the entire world i don't think they would but some people seem to think so and that theory is having a fresh day in the sun we'll tell you why 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in do you think bitcoin was a creation of the cia 603-283-6160 it's free talk live Join us, talk about whatever is important to you, or talk about cryptocurrency, one of our favorite subjects here on the show, 603-283-6160. That's the number if you'd like to weigh in, that's 603-283-6160. You may be sitting there wondering, well, what is this Bitcoin thing that people keep talking about? Head on over to Bitcoin.com, click Getting Started at the top of the page, take a few minutes out of your day to just... Watch a few of these short videos, learn the basics of this world-changing important technology that, in my opinion, has already defeated the established financial system. The institutional financial system just hasn't quite realized it yet. You can dive as deep into this subject as you want. They have a lot of information there for you to learn all about it. If you already know about cryptocurrency, you can still stay up to date on all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you at news.bitcoin.com. All on a sleek, easy-to-use modern website. That's Bitcoin.com. The latest is that the fringe theory that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin were created by the CIA is making rounds again, as the CIA director William Burr said on Monday that the intelligence agency, quote, has a number of different projects focused on cryptocurrency, which could mean anything. Burns made his comments at the tail end of a talk at the Wall Street Journal CEO Summit interesting place for the director of the CIA to be. After discussing everything from the possible Russian invasion of Ukraine to the challenges of space, someone in the audience asked if the agency is on top of cryptocurrencies, (laughs) which are currently at the center of the ransomware epidemic. Oh, man. Just hearing that phrase makes me so glad I don't do IT anymore. Ransomware? Yeah. I I do not miss dealing with it, Mm -hmm. and it's so easy to prevent from being a problem 
that people just don't do it. It's like all you have to do is back up your stuff and try trying to convince a client that it's necessary to do this so they don't get hit with ransomware is impossible until they get hit with ransomware. It'll never happen here. Right. But it will, inevitably. <laughs> and U.S. officials are attempting to get a handle on the ransomware epidemic. This is the first I've heard about that. And snap it out. Here's what Burns said. This is something I inherited. My predecessor had started this, but had set in motion a number of different projects focused on cryptocurrency and trying to look at second and third order consequences as well. I don't know what that means. Me neither. And helping with our colleagues and other parts of the U.S. government to provide solid intelligence on what we're seeing as well. It sounds like he he just knows the CIA is doing something mm. with cryptocurrency with sort of a shrug. I mean, yeah, this, yeah, we know about it. This is hardly surprising given the focus ransomware is getting from every corner of government. Again, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not seeing any major headlines daily on Drudge Report about ransomware attacks. This year, a ransomware attack targeting a pipeline led to a shutdown, panic buying, and a gas shortage in several states. Yep, that one made some headlines. That one did. I do remember that one. That was like April. But I mean, one ransomware attack that makes headlines is not necessarily an epidemic. epidemic. Or a pandemic or whatever the correct (laughs) terminology would be. Cryptocurrencies could have enormous impact on everything from ransomware attacks as you mentioned, because they're the only way that ransomware attacks have ever been possible. A ransomware attack couldn't work. If you had to wire $15,000 to someone's bank account, your bank would just pull it back as soon as you said, oh, this is for ransomware. Moving on, quote, because one of the ways of getting at ransomware attacks and deterring them is to be able to get at the financial networks that so many of those criminal networks use, and that gets right at the issue of digital currencies as well. Basically admitting that, you know, the financial system, though it's flawed, it can undo payments. And that's why ransomware has never really been possible prior to the existence of cryptocurrency. Crypto Twitter had a field day with Burns' comments with varying degrees of seriousness, which proliferated via what else? A tweet from the frequently apocalyptic Tyler Durden authored blog Zero Hedge. I don't... I don't see them as a cryptocurrency expert blog, Zero Hedge. I don't know. I don't spend much time reading it. I mean, we have had the occasional story from them on the air here, but I'm no by no means a follower of the blog, so I can't speak to that. I absolutely can't either. If it came out and was proven that Bitcoin was created by the CIA, it wouldn't significantly diminish my bullishness, said mm. Spencer Schiff, who is a Bitcoin promoter. This is the son of uh, Peter Schiff. Yes, evidently they were having a spat on Twitter in the last they do that. recent few days. Yeah. It, it's hard to say if it's just for show or if it's just them trying to play both sides or if it's just, you know, a rebellious son being like, hey, no, look, you're old and you're wrong here. Yep, you're wrong, Dad. Yeah, let's move on. The only thing it would change is my view of Satoshi, but crucially, Satoshi is not Bitcoin. That connection was severed years ago. He's right on that, although I would say that it would alter my view of Bitcoin Despite it being open source, I don't have the technical expertise by a long shot to dive into the code and figure Mm -hmm. out whether or not there are back doors. But the reality is uh, Bitcoin is one of the maybe the most reviewed code on the planet. I mean, just think about it. Like there's literally, what is it, a trillion dollars now in market cap uh, for Bitcoin. I'll pull up the numbers here over at CoinGecko. Oh, no, not quite a trillion because it did have that that dip down. Mm-hmm. So $952 billion market Basically cap a trillion. just on this one cryptocurrency. 
there's a huge level of interest in making sure that Bitcoin is what it says it is and that there are no back doors. There's no funny business going on in there. And there's not. You know, there's never been a single scandal regarding the code of Bitcoin. There have been scandals regarding cryptocurrency exchanges being hacked another one just got hacked yeah, i saw uh, that for like 196 Bitmart. million dollars yeah, yeah almost 200 million dollars worth of uh, coins got hacked there so yeah there's centralized exchanges that have problems and there's people that have security issues they don't put a password on their wallet or whatever but the actual code behind bitcoin is rock solid and it is reviewed by a lot of eyeballs so again it just doesn't make any sense that the cia would be involved here in any way shape or form especially given that satoshi Nakamoto ostensibly built this thing to take down the banking system. What could the CIA possibly have in as far as its interests? Because its interests are protecting the U.S. government gang. That's what they yes. do, supposedly. Now, of course, they do that in their mind by going over and, you know, de- getting rid of dictators and replacing them with their own people and fomenting wars and doing all kinds of violent crap. Uh, and whatever other underhanded political maneuvering that they do, this Machiavellian stuff. But the U.S. But, government is not one that they want to bring down. No, they're, that's their bread and butter. So, like, why would they want to undermine, potentially, first of all, they wouldn't know for sure it would ever take off. But why sure. would they want to potentially undermine the banking system in the United States? They're there to protect that. Uh, establishment. I mean, the banking system in the United States is the one paying the bills at CIA headquarters. So, yeah. Ultimately. And it's, and it's silly to think, that, as you point out, Bitcoin, it's open source. Why would the CIA want that? Why would they want this technology that is meant specifically to undermine their entire financial system and the government that is held up by that financial system? That would be the last thing that CIA would ever want. Yeah. So, Satoshi Nakamoto is an enemy of the state. Which, as we discussed last night, is why he or she is not Craig Wright, who loves apparently loves governments and loves the idea of state uh, regulation and working with the status and all that. So, I mean, the CIA is the state, and they have their allegiances are clear. Yeah, and it's not to freedom and individualism no. and an individual having the right to control their own financial freedom. If they could figure out who Satoshi Nakamoto was, they'd kidnap him or her and torture him. Regrettably, that's what they do. And, and that may be why we've never heard from Satoshi. <laughs> Six I zero, hope not. Uh, yeah, same here. 603-283-6160. You're invited to join. It's Free Talk Live. Is your broken heart stopping you from being authentically happy? My name is Jeremy West, and for a limited time, I am running a free online class to teach you what most people don't know about how to deal with your feelings, the simple way to deal with your negative thinking, the key to breaking your unhealthy relationship patterns, and so much more. No more feeling like a failure who will never find true love. No more self-medicating and ending up feeling even more miserable. And no more feeling like you'll never be someone who deserves an amazing partner. Sound good? You'll discover a new way to finally feel validated and loved. To stop trying to get your self-worth from the very people who tear it down and to put you in control of your own happiness so you never surrender that control to another person again in as little as eight weeks. Register now for my free online class at beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. That's beyondyourbreakup.com slash free class. It is 
is Free Talk Live. You're invited to take control of the airwaves. Talk about whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. And with you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And nobody is... I think he recent. I was told he recently changed his name back to Rich Paul. Actually, so that makes things easier for me. No, what I heard was he got a trade name, <laughs> okay. which basically means that that's even funnier. You can, uh, you know, for people that don't know, you can register with the Secretary of State's office and have a trade name that you can do business as, and then like open a bank account in that name, that kind of thing. So, so if he gets a check from somebody in the name of Rich Paul, he can't do anything with it, right? Uh, when his name is legally nobody. So now that he has a trade name for Rich Paul, he can run for office and still be nobody. You can still vote for nobody, but he could receive a check from somebody under his old name and deposit it in a bank account. I've always known him as Rich, so I've always called him Rich. And yeah. I've never really had any issue with that because he didn't either. But it's I'm happy to know that I can now call him Rich Paul and it will at least have some association with him. <laughs> I didn't realize that he got a trade name mm-hmm. as Rich Paul. I thought he changed his name back. The trade name thing makes it so much funnier. It is fun. So anyway... He's not allowed to be on the air with us at the moment, but we, Bonnie has been going through some old videos that contain him digging out quotable things that he has said in the past, and I like this one a whole lot. Skyrim is a game? I always thought it was like the third level of the Mal High Club. And I like that because I like the game Skyrim. I, I didn't realize, but it's almost a decade old at this point. Yeah. It's got one of the longest legacies, and I know that just makes Bethesda so angry. What, what do you mean? Well, they have this almost 10-year-old game that people are still playing religiously, mm-hmm. and they're not making a dime from it. Right, because it was back when that came out, it wasn't one of those... They didn't have that whole microtransaction yeah. thing in the gaming industry like they do now, where every single... I don't know if it's every game. I don't play games that much anymore, but where it seems like in a lot of games, they're trying to nickel and dime the players to the point where it's not just $60 to buy a game. It's $60 and then $5 here and $5 there and $10 here. And before you know it, you've spent $200 playing this $60 game. And I suspect we're going to see exactly that with the Elder Scrolls Six, just because they don't want to risk this happening again. Mm. But time was holding that because I don't think we're going to see Elder Scrolls. We'll go to trial before they actually release Elder, <laughs> Elder Scrolls Six. But let's go to the phones. We have Chris calling from New Hampshire. Chris, you're on Free Talk Live. Thanks for taking my call. Ooh, turn hey, what's on your mind up. tonight? How does the CIA topple fledgling democracies? They need money. And they've gotten caught red-handed moving money around multiple times. So if they're going to be successful in the future doing what they do, they need a way to move money around that nobody can figure out money's moving around. Well, then that's not Bitcoin. Do that. Why isn't that Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is completely public. But it's anonymous. No, it's not really. The The code is public, but it's anonymous. No, no, it's not. Um, I don't know where you've heard that about Bitcoin, but that's just false. Uh, Bitcoin can be used in what's called a pseudonymous sort of manner, meaning that anyone who uh, creates a Bitcoin wallet on a a non-custodial service like, say, Edge Wallet or Exodus Wallet or something like that, no one necessarily knows that you've done so. Uh, but every Bitcoin transaction is publicly viewable and publicly traceable, 
And so, no, it is not an anonymous currency. There are anonymous currencies like Monero, for instance, or Pirate Chain uh, and these other privacy coins, um, but those came years later. Okay, so if you get in on the ground floor, you manipulate where it's going, you control it, you don't let it take over the bank industry, which Bitcoin is not in any position to take over just yet. Uh, I, I think there's more there to them just being dismissive with it. I don't know that I agree. Thank you so much for the call tonight, Chris. Um, to barely hear him. Yeah. As you pointed out, Ian, um, all of these transactions are ultimately traceable back to an individual. And I don't, I'm not 100% sure, but I think they probably will at some point have the technology to trace Bitcoin blockchain access to individual IP addresses or at least MAC uh, addresses. Don't they already or have that? I don't know. But if they can tie it to your IP address or your MAC address, and they mm-hmm. can tie it to your phone, and they can tie it directly to you. I mean, That's there, true. There are Bitcoin mixers and stuff like that that sort of help mitigate the problem. But yeah, Bitcoin isn't a privacy coin. That's why privacy coins exist. Things Correct. Like, that's the you, one thing that Satoshi Nakamoto didn't do, and he didn't well, even try to. Possibly. I mean... Unless you think that Satoshi was behind Monero, and there is a theory that Satoshi created Monero as well. I don't think it's impossible. I I think it's likely that Satoshi could have created Bitcoin and was like, oh, okay, I didn't foresee this particular flaw or that particular flaw, Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to create something distinct that is built on the same technology but different that mitigates those problems. And that could be how we got Monero. I don't know that. Monero, as I understand it, is built on a whole new technology. It's called CryptoNote. And it is one of the few cryptocurrencies out there that is actually not based on Bitcoin's original code. Most cryptos, well, I meant blockchain based, sure, rather it's than blockchain based, based on the code. Uh, but it's uh, but most just for listeners that you know may not know this, most cryptocurrencies out there started with Bitcoin as their basis. They took the Bitcoin code and they changed something or a bunch of things, and then they put their own iteration out and they called it something different. So like Litecoin or Dash or you know you name a bunch of them, they they probably are. there's probably more now that haven't done that than ever before but monero was one of the first uh to do it based on what's called crypto note which is totally something like that was written from scratch there's not like bitcoin code in monero as i understand it. i'm not a programmer that's just my understanding of the sort of the history of monero so it's interesting and some people theorize that uh, it was actually uh, satoshi nakamoto who wrote monero and they based that on the fact that monero's author is also anonymous uh, there's there's been some people who've sort of been the public face of Monero for the for over the years, like a guy named Fluffy Pony, but he's just like a maintainer. He's just a programmer right. who's worked on the project. He wasn't the creator of it. And Allegedly, there are linguistic similarities between the two white papers. That's what people say. Now, whether that was done on purpose, and it wasn't actually Satoshi Nakamoto who wrote it, but it was somebody who wanted it to look like it was Satoshi Nakamoto, so therefore they adopted some of Satoshi's you know linguistic flair or whatever who knows i mean the world will never know that that's the whole point like satoshi nakamoto is anonymous bitcoin not so much no it's not but there's a reason to get into cryptocurrency and i would suggest that that is because the billionaire share of global wealth has only soared during the covid19 quote pandemic and it's no surprise to hear that with governments doing everything they can to give massive amounts of taxpayer money and just money that they're creating out of thin air to anyone who has a pulse or a promise to end the COVID-19 problems or a new way of locking down or a new thing to inject into people, just giving them countless billions of dollars. 
Pfizer is making record profits. Moderna is mm-hmm. making record profits. Uh, AstraZeneca, all of these companies, most of which weren't even household names. I mean, sure, Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer, we, we knew who they were yep. three or four years ago, but they weren't names that we heard on a daily basis. And now they certainly are, and the government is just giving them massive amounts of money. People don't seem to realize that those those vaccines that are free at the pharmacy, and that's in quotation marks for those not watching on video, mm-hmm. aren't free. It's just that the government is paying for them. And to do that, which means tax tax dollars are paying for them, and or they're printing the money. It's one of the two, absolutely, mm-hmm. and it's just making the dollar weaker. And as a result, cryptocurrency, gold, silver are only going to get stronger as a result. Of I this. think that's a fair prediction. Uh, I tend to agree with you on that, but obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. There could be, you know, there could be a big downturn in crypto that starts tomorrow and lasts for years. We've had that happen before, you know, where that's true. it was after 2017, the uh, the price of Bitcoin ran up to like nineteen thousand dollars. It was at that time a record high, and then it plummeted down to I think as low as like three to five thousand dollars and kind of like floated around the five to ten thousand dollar range for a few years after that i remember speculating that i expected bitcoin to hit five hundred dollars at that time yeah Yeah. going down of course i was way wrong you were wrong thankfully hey been wrong before i'll be wrong again but if you were right it would have been a great time to buy (laughs) yeah i don't think it's going to go that low in in this particular dip and of course this particular dip may be over no one knows what the future holds but we can be reasonably sure that the USD is not a good investment. It's not a good store of value. No, you shouldn't have any of your wealth in USD. 603-283-6160 if you want to join us. It's Free Talk Live. If you want to weigh in, that's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And it's it's Christmas time, allegedly. Uh, That's what I hear. Uh, It seems to me like it's like 18 days too early for Christmas time. But sure, let's let the the Christmas people have the entire month of December if that's what they want. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of families are going into debt. We talked about this last week. They're actively going into debt in order to buy slightly reduced amounts of Christmas gifts. I think last year or the year before, it was an average of... Just over $1,000. Yeah, and this year it's just, just under, under. 1000 So it's like slightly less, but not not meaningfully so. That's right. I'm not into the whole, as we talked about then, the whole... Oblig- obligatory gift giving and receiving kind of thing. If Me I see neither. something that someone that I think someone will like, I will just buy it for them because hey, this is a person I like and this is a thing I think they will like. And you don't have to wait until December to do that. No, you can do it any time. Yeah. Right, and it shows your friend. Hey, this friend is thinking about me. At a random time. That's great. Instead of, oh, this friend fulfilled their societal obligation to get me a pair of socks this year. Thanks, friend. But not everyone sees it that way. And despite the inflation that we're seeing throughout the throughout the world, many Americans are, despite being worried about it, they're still spending just massive amounts of money on this this tradition. Sure, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Do, does it have any quotes? The article that you have that. In, enlightens us on what these people are thinking? Well, Americans um, have not made a lot of sense financially for as long as we've been doing this show. I mean, we've talked for years about 
the tremendous debt loads and debt levels that Americans have uh, individually, whether it be credit card debt or you know college loans, you know you name it. Some debt can be constructive to some extent like you know if you buy a house you can live in it uh but you you can't live in your college loan and your credit card debt for instance but you know i i'm stunned by this whole college loan thing when when i first heard about because i didn't take out college loans i just went on grants and scholarships and stuff yeah but when i first heard about student loans and how crippling they are i assume people were racking up like four five six hundred thousand dollars of debt Mm -hmm. but in reality it's like Twenty four thousand dollars in debt, fifty hundred somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. Everyone I know, they're between twenty and thirty thousand dollars in student debt, and a lot of those have master's degrees. So I'm just, I'm just not clear on why this is so crippling to people. I understand that's a lot of debt, and you shouldn't be able to. You you were unwise to just take on that, that massive amount of debt so you could get well, your degree in gender studies. I don't know what the average. It'd be interesting to find out what the average college loan debt is because it's got to be that's up. True. It's got to be up, right? Because college hasn't gotten cheaper over time. It's become more expensive, uh, and that's because of you know government and all their ridiculous mandates and restrictions and basically the colleges have carte blanche to just raise their costs and you know they're still going to get people to walk through the doors the average debt at graduation for a four-year degree is twenty five thousand nine hundred and twenty one dollars okay all right which i mean it sounds like a lot sure but that should be easily paid off in 10 years if if you have a decent job now do college loans charge interest oh that's true presume they do but I don't know. Like well, I said, they shouldn't. I'm, Isn't I, that the whole point of them being guaranteed by the government or whatever? Is that uh, the government doesn't need to charge you interest? Yeah, but aren't most I mean, they're of going them to because run? I don't know. I don't either. Well, like, would a I'm private like you, company give an 18 year old kid? Oh, sure. It's <laughs> $25,000. You want to you major in advanced biochemistry for monkeys that live in South Africa? Absolutely. Well, they might because aren't college loans the one loan you can't get rid of in bankruptcy? Yes. Right. So that's one reason why they would do it, right? Because well, you got to you got to pay this. There ain't no walking away from it. That's true. And and there are co- uh, government college loans. And you're guaranteed to get one of these loans if you just apply for one. I I guess I. As I, I understand know. it, I don't know. I've never yeah. applied for one. Yeah, me neither. But um, I've heard people, you know, in the stories we've talked about before with uh, in previous episodes of Free Talk Live regarding college loans, some of these people are paying like you know fifteen hundred dollars a month. On these loans. And that is excessive. That is a lot of money. I mean, if you're trying to make ends meet, it's going to be hard to make those payments and actually, you know, do anything except eat beans and rice. Yeah, I would expect an average of these to be like $1,500 a year toward paying it down. You know, maybe a 20-year payoff or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I never got one out, so... But Americans have just been historically terrible at finance. And oh, yeah. Half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and have no yeah. savings. Americans are terrible with money. Well, and as somebody, I forget who it was that pointed it out. I think it was actually Bonnie one night pointed out it's partially the government's fault because the government makes the financial situation just so glo- uh, you know, uh, gloomy. I mean, it's just yeah. so bad. You know, they, they debase the money by printing constantly and making it worth less and less over time. Uh, they, you know, they regulate the hell out of business, which, of course, you know, increases costs and makes it more difficult to be profitable, uh, makes it harder to pay people. Well, if you can't, you know, actually make money at what you do, they regulate the economy that makes it so poor people can't get a leg up and they can't 
uh, create their own business. You know, that's one thing that really hurts people, especially those people who are the least well off are harmed the most by regulations because Absolutely. they don't I mean, have the attorneys. This. We've seen stories in San Francisco and San Diego and other ultra-liberal cities of like homeless people who started shining shoes. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they had enough money to buy an apartment. They kept sh- shining shoes until the city goons came knocking at the door and said, hey, no, you're not licensed to do this. You've got to get back out there and go back to being homeless. Yeah, you need a permit for that. Well, how do I get a permit? Well, you can't get one. We're, uh, we've sold out. You know, just that kind of crap. That's the true uh, nature of government regulation. You just blow that up and extrapolate it to the entire society, and that's why we are in the situation that we're in. Yeah, there's so many people who they have the talent. Like, let's say they can cook, for instance, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people who can cook really well. Uh, that uh, they you know get sick and tired of working for somebody. They're working at a restaurant. They're working their ass off all just so they can enrich the owner of the restaurant, right? Because whenever you work for a job, you're just working to make the, the owner of that company wealthier. And sure. ultimately, that's not the best thing you can do for you. The best thing you could do for you would be to start your own thing. And- well, for a lot of people, I, I would suggest the best thing they could do for themselves for themselves is to work for themselves. Yes, but the problem is... The system isn't designed for that. So somebody's working in a restaurant for years and they figure, you know what, I'm going to strike out on my own. I can do this. I've, you know, I've learned the, the ropes. I know how to do this. I can, I can open my own restaurant, except because they've been living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a whole lot of money, you know, that they can just go and rent some big building and then, you know, uh, renovate it with whatever stuff that they need to renovate with. And, you know, before you know it, you're into two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars just to open the doors on some sort of new restaurant. They could if there were like freedom. They could just set up some tables and chairs in their dining room or their family room or whatever. And invite friends and neighbors and whatever. Hey, tonight we're going to be cooking, you know, jambalaya or, you know, you name it, whatever. And invite people over, have a menu, have a, have a, you know, hours and that sort of thing. But no, no, there's a health code minister who's going to come along and threaten you with violence if you do that. Because you didn't get the government permission slip and you might be poisoning people. And we need the government to keep people safe. And, well, you haven't jumped through all these. Well, you might point out, well, I'm being safe. I know how to, you know. I've been served safe certified. I know how yeah. to not handle, you know, chicken and, you know, wash my hands and do all these things that I've been doing for years inside these professional restaurants. But no, because you didn't jump through the governmental hoops, now you're facing jail time. And so, I mean, th- that's how somebody could start from scratch and start, you know, cooking for people and actually making money at doing it because it doesn't cost a lot to cook for people, right? Just food costs. Yeah. You know, you put your time it's in, you buy the food, you make money. Uh, and that's exactly what the existing restaurants don't want you to do. The people who've been in uh, the restaurant industry and who've been paying taxes for decades and who've been, you know, by the books, they've been obeying the governmental rules and jumping through the hoops. They don't want people just opening up their own kitchens and opening up their own restaurants in their homes. That's a threat. And so they'll use the state to put a stop to it. So there's so many people out there that would have loved would love to start their own business. Poor people who would love to do that, but they're deathly afraid of doing so because they don't want to get raided. I seem to recall I had a friend who wanted to open a restaurant here in Keenan. He was held back because it was going to cost like twenty something thousand dollars just to get approved by the city of Keene to do it. That's not wow. that's not getting up to their health code or anything mm-hmm. like that. Just twenty thousand dollars just to get started on jumping through all of their hoops. It's like no one no one has the 
no one working in a kitchen who actually is qualified to make good food has yeah. $20,000 just lying around. And this may be one of the reasons why Americans are so bad with finance. So, I mean, I'm giving examples of why the, you know, the circumstances are bad to begin with, but then secondly, each individual is still responsible for their spending habits. Absolutely. And maybe one of the reasons why somebody might be really bad with spending habits, like, you know, a lot of people in the hospitality industry going out drinking heavily, constantly doing drugs or whatever, maybe that's because they realize they have no hope of ever starting their own thing, or at least that's the way they feel, so F it. They're just going to spend all their money. Tragic if that's the case. But what are your thoughts? Why do people despair and fall into drugs and alcohol and things like that? 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to join in, take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you. 603. 603- Two eight three six one six zero. If you'd like to do that, that's six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. And with you tonight, it's Aria and Ian talking about the the inflation, uh, cryptocurrency ways of dealing with the inflation, and just Americans being bad with finances in general. This is a long running issue. We've been talking about it for years, as you pointed out here on Free Talk Live, of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, not having savings, and all sorts of other things that are just not good ways for an adult human being to live their life, having absolutely nothing to fall back on in case they break their leg or something like that. Oh, the government will take care of it. Well, not from what I've heard. Not from what I've heard about these, you know, 50, 60-year-old people who allegedly did everything right, and then suddenly they're losing their home because one of them got diagnosed with cancer, and oh, sorry, your health insurance doesn't cover that for this reason or that reason. All of which is broken by government interference in all of these different aspects of our lives. So there's no real good solution here other than getting the government out of our lives. But before we get back Mm. into inflation and Americans during the Christmas season, let's go to Andrew in Tennessee. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to comment about the student loans. I, I think there is part of it that is definitely somewhat of a scam in a way trying to take advantage of people that are young and don't necessarily know what they want to do for their future and say, Hey, you know, maybe you need education. And, um, I don't fault for some, I don't fault the company for trying to loan them money, Mm -hmm. but I think that people need to actually maybe take the time when they get out of high school to maybe 
learn a trade or a valuable skill and then and then maybe go back to school for something but i feel like the the thought of just going to school first well that's what we were taught know. our entire lives right uh, the yeah. the millennial generation at least we were told oh you you don't want to be a trade worker no the only path is higher education you have to go to college you have to get a degree no one ever mentioned learning a trade or anything like that i don't know what it is for kids today just the same but, but yeah, that's what we went through. Well, the college system uh, has a interest in doing this. It's a business, and sure. they have a very effective marketing strategy, which is to say they put their people in the government schools as teachers, right? People who've graduated from their institutions go to government school and work as teachers. And so they tell these kids the same story year after year that, oh, you've got to, oh, you're going to make more money if you work, you know, if you get a college degree, even though there's actually uh, some, you know, numbers out there that show that's not true uh, because they're not factoring in all the debt that you would have. Because Mm. if you took the money that you spent on getting that college degree and did something like, oh, I don't know, buying a house or opening a business with it, um, there's a good chance you'll be much better off than uh, a lot of these college students. And I don't know that I fully agree that the company shouldn't be held responsible for this. I mean, if an 18-year-old stranger came up to me and asked to borrow $25,000 so that they could go to college, I would ask, why Why would I? Why would any sane person loan an 18-year-old $25,000? The average 18-year-old, $25,000. But that's why you can't put it on your bankruptcy. Because <laughs> mm-hmm, the government will back it up, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, but that's you're, you're oh, okay. So it, it's okay. It, it's okay to ruin this young person's life as long as well, you ultimately get your money back. You're saying that's not their responsibility. Well, I don't agree. I don't agree with them trying to ruin somebody's life. But that's but what I student loans that, are doing to people. Well. You don't have to take a student loan. You you should you should you should teach kids to save their money and go to school when they can afford it. I agree. When they know what they want to go to school for. Yeah, I don't think we can but blame people for giving loans to people. To to I don't think we can blame people for giving loans out to people that want them. I mean, ultimately, it's the person who wants the loan who's responsible for it. I mean, they're the ones putting their name on the dotted line. They're the ones agreeing to the terms. I mean, the companies are just giving them what they want. They want to go to school. Well, look, got to pay for it, kid. Here's how you do it. If you don't want to be responsible and, like like the caller said, earn some money, save it, and then go to school if you think it's actually worth going to school. But I agree with his point. Like, get out into the world. Actually, you know, get some experience and then figure out what you want to do. See, I'm torn on the subject. What you just said you is absolutely right. It's, it's just someone who's wanting a loan and you're like, okay, you want a loan? I'll give you a loan. Yeah. Right? So in, in a certain sense, no, they're not responsible for any of that, but... Would the 18-year-old really want the loan if they hadn't been brought up in this entire culture of these student no. loan companies and universities and the school system working together? Of course not. I mean, this, the victimhood of this person began when they were in kindergarten being told, oh, you don't want to dig ditches for a living or whatever, not being told that, hey, that person out there working on the side of the road, they're actually making like $19 an hour and your teacher's not making that. Uh, they probably are. Yeah, probably. Teachers are making a lot of money if Plus you factor they, in their vacation. Yeah, and they work almost no hours. And the bennies. Yeah. So it's nice being a teacher. They don't want yeah. to admit that, but it's nice being a teacher. Thank yeah, you so is. much for the call tonight, Andrew. That's why they don't quit. Yeah. I really wish that, you know, students weren't being exposed to this propaganda their entire lives, but I, I don't know how to address that 18-year-old person who 
wants a loan, not because they really want a loan or because they feel like they're they're they belong in college. They they should earn a PhD and whatever, but because they've been told their entire lives, propagandized and brainwashed that the only way for them to be successful mm-hmm. is to take this path that involves these student loans. Yeah, well, I feel bad for all of the poor suckers who believed the things the government told them. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Anything the government says is a lie. Most of the time. And if it's you sure truth, as hell can't trust them. And if, it's, and if they actually tell the truth, it's just so that they can exploit it still for their own mm-hmm. benefit. But if they can't exploit the truth, they'll just tell a lie. Yep. And There's no been, penalty for them. No. And they've been doing that since time immemorial. And that's led to the situation that we're in now where Americans have a problem on their hand. They're worried about inflation, Mm -hmm. but they just, I don't know what this year's Tickle Me Elmo is, but they'll just be damned if they don't get their kids this year's Tickle Me Elmo. Even if it costs three times as much. Yeah, and that is a good question, parents. What is the Tickle Me Elmo of the uh, this particular year for, for kids that don't know what we're talking about? In the late 1990s, Tickle Me Elmo was the hot toy. And uh, somebody mentioned, you know, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids from the 1980s. So, uh, you know, every year or every few years, there's always some sort of Tamagotchi. I remember that one from the, the late 90s. The Nintendo Wii uh, was one for one year. Yeah, so there's always a thing and people want it. And so what is this year's thing? I have not heard that yet either. You can call us. Uh, 603-283-6160 and let us know. But the story here is from CNBC and they're saying many Americans are suffering from sticker shock after seeing prices rise in recent months. A new survey from Country Financial finds that 88% of Americans are highly concerned about inflation. That's as consumer prices soared to more than 30-year record highs in October. Well, it's good they're finally worried about the thing that we told them was going to be a problem 18 months ago. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad people are paying attention now, and they're going to start noticing if they haven't noticed already. Those prices are going up. uh, Well, if 88% of Americans are worried, I mean, that's, that's a substantial percentage. Uh, measured by 6.2 year-over-year percent year-over-year change to the Consumer Price Index, a government measure of how prices change over time. Well, uh, however, retail spending also rose faster than expected in October. The poll by Country Financial conducted in October found that many Americans do plan to cut back spending. Of the 1,031 adults aged up to or 18 and up surveyed, 48% said they plan to reduce their spending on restaurant meals and takeout. And you know what? That's a good thing to cut if you're looking at a budget. First of all, if you don't have one, you might want to consider like making notes about the things you spend money on so you can have some idea of uh, what you're spending money on and how often. And then look at that and think to yourself, hmm, do I really need this? Do I really need to be eating out five times a week or going to Starbucks five days a week or whatever, right? Like look at your habits. Um, spending a lot on- of these things I'm sold on, but I'm just not convinced that it's any cheaper to eat at home than it is to just get takeout if, if you're just feeding one. I see the point you're making there because making a large meal just for one person uh, doesn't. You, know, you might throw away some of that food or something like that. Is that kind of what you're? A substantial amount, I, I would think. You can always pop it in the freezer, though. You can. I guess that's true. Yeah. So it's pretty clear that eating at home is cheaper uh, than than eating out. On the other hand, uh, let's talk more about this. So what is this year's Tickle Me Elmo, this year's hot item that all of the kids are being told they want? Because I don't, I don't think I knew anyone who wanted a Tickle Me Elmo. 603-283-6160. The 
It's Free Talk Live, where your thoughts and opinions are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to share what's on your mind. That's 603-283-6160. And we're raising funds with Give Directly, the first nonprofit that allows you to give money directly to people who live in extreme poverty. They locate recipients in need and use mobile money to send them cash, no strings attached. And in the past decade, they've delivered $400 million to over a million people. And research shows that giving people cash when they live in poverty can help drive a range of important positive changes in their lives, like employment, nutrition, health, education. And we're matching your donations to give directly. It's the first nonprofit, I mentioned that, this money is going directly to families in Bummit and Khalifi counties in Kenya who are in need. We're matching your donations up to $30,000. So if you're feeling generous this holiday season, head over to freetalklivegive.freetalklive.com and help those areas plagued by drought, floods, and food insecurity. There may not be a better way to help families in Kenya. That's give.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones. We have Sarah calling from New Mexico. New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Oh, yes. Um, I just want to bring up that um, they just began to put a no smoking sign on all of the each bus stops here in Albuquerque. Well, they saw uh, how effective they were at the hospital. Well, I mean, but that's the whole point. But at least um, it's it's impressive because, uh, I mean, it's like a stick and they have this, um, it's about like six, six inches long. And, um, you know, it's like a little, um, uh, I don't know, like a, I mean, it's a little sign. It's, it's a non-smoking sign. See it. Yeah. What about so it? That, the thing is that you know that they're all going to ignore it. I was, I'm calling in because it's actually, it's comical. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's, yeah, um, that's my point. It seems silly that they would do this considering how ineffective they were because just a few, a few days ago, you called in about how people were ignoring the non-smoking signs that the hospital ground, so why? Right, right, right. But um, but the whole point is that once, well, once people are aware, maybe they'll be more courteous. Did that or work at the hospital? There, no, at the bus stop. Okay, but did the, tear. yeah, did that work at the hospital though? No, it didn't. <laughs> okay, but so so why would the it people work at here? the bus stop are obviously of a higher caliber than those at the hospital, so they will care. Well, the whole thing is, I just hope that it could be backed up by some kind of enforcement, because they're supposed to get some more uh, security patrols, and that's one of the things that they're supposed to enforce. So, um, it, you, we used to have security when we had Mayor Chavez a long time ago. So you want some but, more violence, is what you want. You want you're calling for police crackdowns. I mean, we don't even need the signs at that point. You just need the the law enforcement officers to enforce whatever laws already exist. The signs are superfluous, right? Right. But, but the thing is that people have to know that it is a, an actual city ordinance. I wish they would put a statute, you know, like 12 dash, uh, four, five, six dash four. So it's an actual statute. People know that to go along. Well, with I it have to say that I would prefer the police be doing something like going after murderers or rapists or, you know, property destroyers or something like that. 
instead of spending their time monitoring the various different bus stops in Albuquerque to see if someone's smoking a cigarette or not. I understand that the police probably will, given the opportunity to like use this for fundraising, because that's what police seem to really like to do, is bust nonviolent, peaceful people for not harming others. Like, you know, they do this for, uh, they do this to teenagers around here, for instance. They'll, you know, if they spot somebody who looks like they're under the age of 21 uh, smoking a cigarette, they'll stop them. Oh, they love uh, abusing it for the college kids here because yeah. they know that the parents will just write a check or whatever right. and that the college kids won't fight it. So if they're just slightly too drunk and they're walking down the sidewalk, oh, yeah. They're getting taken in for being drunk in public. Yeah, because it's you know it's easy marks. I mean, we're we are basically talking about bullies here, and that's essentially what the police are. They're just bullies, and they pick on a bully picks on somebody that can't fight back, right? So the bully picks on people that are young, that don't know their rights, that are poor, that are homeless, Uh, and they go after the people that you know are less likely to have an attorney. Uh, they're not driving a Lexus or whatever. They can't afford an attorney. They don't have one uh, at their beck and call, and they're going to go after those people. So, I mean, Sarah, you are basically calling for poor people to be targeted here. Yeah, because poor people disproportionately smoke. And ride the bus. Yeah. Well, but that's the whole attitude constantly. It's never enforcement. It's always considerable. They're outside. It blows away. So the law that we pass don't mean nothing. And people like me that are non-smokers have to suffer and pay for no, it. No, you don't so have to suffer. Nonchalant Just walk away. Attitude. So, Sarah, do you believe yeah, that, that I have missed my bus? <laughs> I have to spend, I okay. have to stand 30 feet away from the bus. I have missed the bus many, many times because it's, <laughs> Why oh, did it, hold on, hold on, Sarah. Not important. Hold on. Why didn't the bus stop for the smoker if the smoker was at the bus stop? Well, because they wave them by. They're at the. They're there, loitering and doing whatever, talking on the cell phone. Oh, they're you're not, saying they're not even bus riders. Bus you're saying that the people at the bus stop are just hanging out, and like, like fourteen-year-olds. Ah, uh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a place to sit so they can smoke. Mm. It's got a bench. They don't want to sit on a side. I mean, sidewalk on the ground. I have a better solution. It, it sounds like the government, the city government, created this problem by giving them a bench. Mm. So just take the bench away, and they won't have a place to sit. Right, Sarah? Well, well, they have been uh, also pulling out a whole bunch of bus shelters, and and they have to bu- get rid of uh, all they get. All we get is a bus stick. That's all we get. Yeah. Because of all of these problems. And then we have to flag them down. I mean, we have to jump out on the street and, and stop the bus, or they think they're just sitting there uh, loitering, panhandling, drinking, or smoking, so they just blow on by you. Now we have to just flag the wave, wave the bus down with the bus pass and hope that they don't, they don't uh, run, I mean, blow you off now. But uh, they just all assume that you tough, have a. Tough times. <laughs> Sarah, I, I wish I could help you, but this is not one we're going to see eye to eye on. Um, of course, I'm being facetious. I don't think that the government created this problem by putting out city benches and stuff like that. I mean, and sh- maybe in a certain worldview they did. Uh, okay, well, I'll say that the government created the problem by having a city bus to yeah. begin with and essentially skewing whatever the real market value of transportation, like mass transportation is. I, you know, I presume that these government buses are losing money because they're government services, and so therefore... Well, if they weren't losing money, some private company would be doing it and making money. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, what would that look like if there wasn't some sort of government bus around 
to skew the market and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you a ride for less than what it's worth because, you know, taxpayers are footing the bill, right? Yeah, here's a qu- pay a quarter or whatever the hell it costs these. I'm sure it's gone up. For, like, I remember in the 80s, it was it was 25 cents or whatever to ride the government bus. So it's probably like a dollar now or something like that. Dude, but, I don't think I've ever ridden on a government bus. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's one here in Keene, isn't there? There is one in Keene. It's mostly like takes old people around from the nursing okay. homes and stuff. Uh, but... And I'll actually, have to try that sometime, just, act, just for the experience. Actually, as I understand it, the government or the quote-unquote government bus is actually run by a private company in Keene, so they've contracted it. Okay, um, sort of like the ambulance service here as well. Well, the government hasn't contracted the ambulance service, but there was a news uh, or news item recently that the government of the government gang of the county is buying the private ambulance service. So sadly, Keene will no longer have a private ambulance service coming up next year, I believe. Unfortunately, what do you think? Do you have a solution to Sarah's problem that is smokers existing in her immediate vicinity? 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. If you'd like to join us, that's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I want you listening out there to flip a coin. And that will determine whether or not we're on your video streaming platform of choice. I mean, it's got a (laughs) decent chance of determining. Heads, we're still streaming there. Tails, we've been suspended or banned or kicked either temporarily or permanently. Unless... Your favorite video streaming platform is Odyssey, in which case don't bother flipping a coin because we're still there. Just tune in. Every single day, video.freetalklive.com. They'll take you directly into our channel. And that's the best place to watch our show because we are constantly being suspended from various platforms. We're not even on YouTube at the moment. And it's unlikely we're going to be there anytime soon. As soon as we're there, they'll start handing us strikes again for medical misinformation or just whatever it is that they don't fit feel fits into the government narrative i think the one strike has expired so we probably could go back on youtube at least until they do it again which could be next week it seems likely and of course this axe is falling all over the internet on all sorts of shows we're just one of many of a million disaffected many of these millions of channels on odyssey are disaffected youtube users like us who are just sick and tired of having to watch ourselves. Of course, we never did that. We're just like, well, they're going to ban us. They're going to ban us. But some people were like, I have to watch everything I say and word no it way. carefully. So video.freetalklive.com. That's where you can always watch the show. That's video.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones. We have Richard also calling from New Mexico. Richard, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes, for those people out there in radio land that need a little humor... Last Saturday night in Albuquerque, it was caught on a person's home security camera that somebody stole his 20-foot Santa Claus, inflatable Santa Claus, that was part of his display in his front yard. The thieves were driving an SUV, and all this was caught on camera, and as the SUV drove off, there was quite a few feet of this inflatable 20-foot snowman that was showing out the back end of the SUV. So that's a little humor from 
I don't know if I think it's funny that somebody had their yard ornaments stolen. I mean, that's not very funny. Now, if someone is going to put up lawn ornaments, so I would highly recommend a CCTV system. That's a closed uh, closed circuit television mm-hmm. system. Uh, security cameras, basically, in a DVR. You can get a bundle of these on Amazon for like eight cameras bucks. for like three or four hundred bucks. Yeah. It's simple to set up, and the cameras are super easy to mount. If you're going to invest your time and energy into setting up... Well, it sounds like they do have footage, right? I mean, Richard, you were able right. to determine what the type of vehicle was, so there was um, security camera footage of this? Yes, there was. Yeah. yeah, the man has a pretty nice uh, size, expensive home, so he has an outdoor security uh, camera system. Have the crooks been caught? Not yet, no. Okay. How is the person whose property was stolen handling this? Because when it happened to me, well, my solution was just to crop out the segment of the video where it happened and throw it on YouTube and let YouTube handle it. And that was tremendously successful after the second time of doing this. It stopped happening. That's good to know. Um, and yeah, yeah, I appreciate your approach of not not involving the police services, although I don't blame someone for doing that, given that yeah. we are forced into this monopoly on violence known as the, the government system and the police. And that's usually the only people you can turn to if you want somebody else to investigate a thing. Well, see, uh, that wasn't even an option for me because at the time I was running for sheriff on a platform right. of F the police, so yes. turning to the police. Would have been very hypocritical. It would case. have. But, you know, as I pointed out then, I'm one of these turn the cheek people, you know, mm-hmm. but sure. I can only do that twice, you know. The There's second, only two cheeks. Yeah. The yeah. second time my sides were stolen around Cheshire County, I was like, I'm done. If this happens again, the person who was reported stealing them the second time, I'm pressing charges because mm. I'm just out of patience. You can only forgive people so many times. There's a thin line between forgiving people for doing something and just letting them walk all over you. That's true. And at a certain point, you have to draw the line. So I, I don't mind people calling the police because, as you point out, it's not like they can call a private security firm to do anything about this. But there may, in fact, be another way to handle it, like putting the video on YouTube and just putting the person on blast, making them feel embarrassed. Yeah, it sounds like that that person might have done that, right? Like the video's out there. Richard saw it. Uh, oh, that's so. true. So, I mean, I don't know if that means it's on YouTube or it went to the news companies in the in town or whatever, but the the word's out there. And the, the trick with nighttime um, video, because we've had uh, various different vandalism here at the studio, for instance, people have stolen the peace flag uh, out front on a number of occasions. I've got like a whole archive of teenagers stealing uh, peace flags. And yeah, the, the difficulty is when it's somebody just driving by in a vehicle uh, in the middle of the night, even if you've got video, it's going to be hard to get their license plate. Yeah. You know, there was one person we were able to catch because they had like a unique dent on the side of their truck or whatever that they were they were driving. So it was actually pretty easy to identify that person driving around. Uh, but, you know, if it's a video, if it's a vehicle that's in good condition and there's not like something that's clearly unique about it. You're probably not going to get the license plate unless you've got some really good angles and really good nighttime uh, footage. You're absolutely right. It was after the second vandalism that I took the final security camera that wasn't in use and I put it directly there in the bushes that were adjacent to the highway so that anyone who pulled up right there, mm-hmm. it was it would be fixated right on their license plate yeah. and their license plate and nothing else, basically. Good. But good, yeah, good. someone just driving by, pulling in for a second or... You know, pulling over on the side of the road and vandalizing something on your property, your average security system's not going to catch that. No. So, Richard, how did you find out about this? Uh, it made the uh, local news 
news on the uh, major one of the main channels that we have here in Albuquerque. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the call tonight, Richard. Hopefully this gets resolved without police involvement. I mean, if it's going on the major news networks there in Albuquerque, the people who are responsible for this, their family is probably going to see it and would hopefully hold them accountable. Like, hey, what are you doing? You have to, yeah, stop, stop being this and go and return it. Do the right thing here. You would hope. Yeah. And usually that's, I mean, as far as things that have happened to me, that would have been fine. Like, just return the thing. Yeah. Uh, there was one time, like, we got... The peace flight got stolen dozens of times before finally the police were called in uh, on this. And to the credit of the of the Keene police in this particular case, uh, they actually listened to us as far as, look, we don't want to press charges. Because that's, that's the problem with calling in the police is if you call the police in, you don't always get to tell them, you know, what to do or not do. Right. Like right. it's like when you pull the fire alarm, the firemen show up. You don't get to you don't get to control how they put the fire out. Right. Like they just put the fire out. And then if they ruin stuff in the process, then you called them in. Right. So in this case, they a friend actually- of mine learned this lesson painfully uh, a few years ago. She called the cops over some domestic violence dispute. Mm-hmm. Ended up being the one that got charged. Arrested. Yeah, <laughs> that's because there's a rule in some towns that they have to arrest somebody when they get called. I was like, I told you not to call him. Yeah. I don't know, don't know what else to say. So that's what I said. I was really surprised uh, to the key, you know, to their credit, that they actually did listen. Like, hey, we don't want if you're able to find who did this, we don't want this person to be charged. Just want to talk to him. We just want them to make this right. And in that in that case, that meant buy us a new flag and give us another flag to cover the the trouble, right? Because we had to go sure. out and repair repair and replace, and there was time spent on that. So replace the flag, give us another one. They're five bucks or whatever on Amazon. Not a huge, uh, not a huge cost and all's well. And uh, it actually worked out. The The young guy came over and nobody and I had a conversation with him on the, on the front porch. And it was actually a really positive uh, conversation. He made things right. And turned out that same guy later on was the organizer of the Black Lives Matter rally, the epic like size Black Lives Matter rally here in Keene. Uh, and so, you know, we connected with him again in that particular case. And then he came out to nightcap and, and hung out with us. And it actually ended up turning into a, a pretty positive situation for, for all involved. So that's awesome. It's one of the rare times you could say the cops did something <laughs> right. I'll give them credit. Yeah, it sounds like they deserve credit yeah. in that one. I mean, it rarely ends well when one calls the police, but sometimes it does. But yeah. still, as a general rule, don't, don't call the police and don't talk to the police. Just don't interact with the police beyond recording them all the time. 603-283-6160 because there is always, almost always a better solution than asking the police to do violence against people. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you, 603-283-6160. If you would like to do that, that's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I believe it was the CEO of Visa who said that never was so much stolen by so many, from so many, by so few, opt out with Bitcoin. The CEO of Visa? If I recall correctly, yeah. I'll <laughs> What? I'll have to look into that, but I'm pretty sure that that's correct. I and, don't know about that. That's because we're seeing massive amounts of inflation, and to the extent that 88% of Americans 
are finally concerned about inflation. Yeah, I've got a story. Do you want to continue with that? Yeah, let's continue with that. So uh, they surveyed 1,031 adults, a group called Country Financial, back in October. 48% they plan, uh, said they plan to reduce their spending on restaurant meals and takeout. And uh, that's what we were just commenting on uh, a few moments ago. You were trying to argue, Aria, that it's somehow cheaper to actually eat takeout. And in no case is it ever cheaper to eat takeout. I mean, it's... It may be more convenient, and you could factor in that you don't have to do the dishes with takeout. So if your time is very compressed and very valuable, then you could argue it makes more sense to uh, to do that. But then you could also just, if you've got the kind of money to buy takeout, uh, then you could also hire a private chef, probably, and, and you know, what do they call them, a personal chef. And those can actually be surprisingly affordable from what I understand. The only reason I know this, I don't have a personal chef, but we used to have um, way back in the day, back on the original like local version of Free Talk Live before we got syndicated, we actually had a private chef or a personal chef as a kind of like a, it wasn't really a sponsor, but we would have every day of the week, we'd have like a restaurant bring us some food at the at the studio. And one of those five days a week that we were doing the show back then was a, a personal chef who would come in and he'd like, you know, he'd cook something up at his house or whatever. And then he'd serve, serve us some really awesome like nice. chef level food. And, uh, and you know, he would, it, his pitch was that he was actually more affordable than, than eating out and saves you a ton of time as far as you don't have to do your own cooking. If you have a personal chef, basically what happens is you hire this person and they give you like a survey. So you tell them what you like to eat, what you don't like to eat, what you can't eat, right? Things like that. So they learn your preferences and then they come up with a menu. And with your approval, they go shopping, they shop for your your menu or whatever. And they come over to your house one day and they cook it all up you know, however long it takes, however many hours, they, they cook it all up, then they put it into the freezer. Uh, so that way you can just take out whichever one that you want on whichever days you want to eat it. And you've got like high quality level, chef level kind of eating. And this is cheaper than eating out. It absolutely is. Because <laughs> think about it. They're just going and shopping at the store, right? And then they're coming to you. Uh, and you're paying them a good rate. Like, they're making g- good money, but it's sure. still way cheaper than, than anything else because they're not coming to your house every day. It would be different if you had a personal chef coming over every single day, but if they're just coming over once a week or once every two weeks or something like that and leaving you with a week or two's worth of, of food in your freezer, you're only paying them for X amount of hours it takes them to, to cook up all that food. It's an interesting approach. Something I might people have to look into that. Yeah, it's something people don't really think about as far as you know their eating options. But if you're somebody who is like, and, and you're this person, right? Like you're the kind of person yeah. who you don't want to spend your time in the kitchen. No, there's you, literally anything else I, yeah. I could, would rather be doing. So you're doing takeout and you're paying the maximum for that. Whereas this would give you something even more custom to what you like. Gives you um, you know all the selection of anything you can make out of the food that's at the grocery store and the, the pro level chefs that do it. So I'm sure they have people like that in this area area and i'm actually interested in hearing about what you find just to see how the the businesses might have changed over the last 20 years since since we learned about that definitely going to have to look into that but i did find speaking of how things have changed it was andy Yi, who is a senior director of policy at visa so not the ceo i remember that he was like from asia he was like visa asia i don't know and the article doesn't say yeah but he says jerome powell's speech today will be for the history books never in the history of mankind was so much stolen from so many by so few opt out with bitcoin damn 
I'm surprised he still has a job with Visa after saying that. That's amazing. Well, Visa evidently uh, is trying to become more crypto friendly. I don't Smart. know. But yeah, I mean, crypto and Bitcoin are clearly the future. So yeah. good for them. They, if they want to stay relevant, they have to get into the technology of the times. But yeah, eating at home, whether it's you making the food or have a personal chef doing it, it's cheaper than going out and paying the maximum to do that. So the the 48% that are planning to reduce their spending there, that's a smart move. Uh, Moreover, 30% of the survey respondents said they plan to skip upgrading their personal technology devices. And that's another thing is interesting. You know, in America, we're so wealthy that it's no big deal for most people to drop a few hundred bucks a year and get a new cell phone every single year. I know it's standard policy to do it like every 18 months or every 24 months. It's policy? Meaning, like, that's what they want you to do, the but, cell phone yeah, company? Your contract expires, and you can renew it, and, oh, by renewing it, you also get this phone for free. Yeah. And what they don't point out is that, oh, that gets tacked onto your bill for $30 a month or whatever for the next 24 months. Yeah. So, I mean, if your phone's still working, there's no reason not to keep using it. So, that's a, that's a pretty good one in that case. 29% say— I don't know if it's still working, though. I mean, back when I lived in Mississippi, there was this common rumor among people who were 18, 17 years old. They just— sort of understood that mobile phones were designed to be essentially obsolete after about 18 months of frequent but that's use. garbage. I mean, like, unless the uh, the operating system is so out of date, and that's certainly been true with, like, Android. Uh, like, if you're still running an Android 6 or an Android 4 device, some of the programs that are available now are not going to run on your device. So at some point, the software is going to move ahead, even if your hardware is still working. So that is true to some extent, but it's it's not true that you can't go for like several years at a time. I think the captain had his phone for like five years before he finally replaced oh. it or something like that. I, I You'll have to ask him specifically, yeah. but I've, it's it was a lot longer than the average person holds on to a phone because the average person is holding on to their phones for like a year to two max. So a lot of people saying they're going to not buy a new phone. Uh, or other personal technology device. 29% said they'll purchase less clothing. Uh, 20% are delaying or canceling travel plans. And 13% plan to drive less, which is something that you also see happen with rising gas prices, is people start to be more judicious about when and where they drive. So instead of going shopping every single day and making a trip out every single day they might have a shopping day where they you know make a loop to you know walmart and then the grocery store and then you know some local store or whatever all in one trip that way they're not out and back out and back out and back multiple days Hmm. uh and so people start to get smarter about their spending habits as prices start to rise now imagine that these same people had been smart about their spending habits their entire lives yes instead of just when push came to shove and Instead, their entire lives, they were like, you know what? I don't really need to make six trips this week to the grocery stores and to Walmart and all that. I can just actually make one trip. And sure, it'll take me a little bit longer if I do this Sunday instead of doing it after work each day. You know, it becomes a three-hour trip on a Sunday instead of a 20-minute trip six days a week or whatever. Right. But it's cheaper and it's more effective and it's more efficient. Or packing a lunch at home instead of going out to eat while you're at work and saving, you know, probably a couple hundred bucks, you know, every week or every two weeks or something like that. Or making your own coffee, man. That's a huge one. I mean, mean, it's just always 
bewilders me driving by a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts and looking at the line in that drive-thru. I don't get it, man. I mean, they know they're going to drink coffee, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's easily made from home. You like, can if e- you can't quit the habit, you can do it at home and save a lot of money. Yeah, and you can even get the little Dunkin' Donuts brand and, you know, brew it up yourself and it'll taste just, just like fine. It. Yeah. But they don't do that. They no. want to go sit in line. And now with all of the lobbies closed, it's just... Long lines of cars that stretch out into the streets I mean, of people who just have to have their Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, not only are you paying too much, but you're also paying in time, right? So it's one thing that it costs X to, you know, I don't know what it is, five bucks or whatever to buy your mocha latte thing or whatever you're getting. But you're also sitting there for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I don't know how long those damn lines take. I mean, it's it ain't quick. I mean, that's a, a long time. Your time's valuable. Right, It is, but not to these people, apparently. Yeah. I, I don't understand why anyone does it when there are so many alternatives. Like, they can just brew it themselves because almost – I have a coffee brewer at my house, and I don't even drink coffee. Hmm. But it's just such a common staple that I have one. But that one I don't understand. I don't understand the Starbucks, the Dunkin' Donuts, and all of that. I do understand people not taking their own meals because, as we've been talking about, it's time-consuming to prepare to a meal. Prepare it. And as you said, their time is valuable. There may be a better use of their time than saving, you know, five bucks or whatever per meal. But slapping together a sandwich honestly doesn't take that long. There's some things that are that are more time, like cooking up something is going to take time. You got to wash the dishes and, but just throwing I mean, together something. They could just grab a ba- pack of saltine crackers and throw it in the backpack and call that lunch, right? Sure, I guess. <laughs> Not very nutritious. I wouldn't want to do that. But, but that sort extreme example of just making a turkey sandwich or whatever with just turkey and cheese on it. What are your thoughts about people trying to save money? 603-283-6160. I think it's long overdue, and I hope they persist with these habits, even if the economy recovers. There's more coming up here. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And I've been traveling a lot this year, more more so than usual, really. And I've got a uh, travel plans coming up next week. Sorry to the haters out there. I specifically scheduled it so I wouldn't miss Free Talk Live. You're going to have to get that week without me some other time. Next week, however, I will be flying. And according to this article, there have just been massive amounts of changes to the travel industry in the last year or two. And I just haven't seen it. It seems about the same as it's always been. But coming soon, they say, your face will be your boarding pass. Mm. Now, I suppose one of the changes I've seen was that I wasn't aware of the existence of digital boarding passes prior yeah. to my most recent flight, and I just used the paper ones. Right. And this one, I opted to just throw the paper ones down at the bottom of my purse and use the digital one instead, but the digital ones still existed then. So that wasn't really a change. It was just, now I'm aware of this easier method of doing this. Is it easier? I found I've it easier. It. Well, you can lose a piece of paper, right? Sure. It's diff- If you lose your phone, you're... <laughs> In a world of hurt where catching the plane is the least of your worries, more than likely. Mm -hmm. So I found it easier, but 
I don't know if easier is even the right word because it's not like it's hard to take a sheet of paper with a QR code it and slap it down on their little scanner. Yeah, I've uh, you know I, I haven't done much traveling this year, but I have <laughs> you know gone a few places in previous years, and it's always just easy for me to reach in my pocket, pull out a piece of paper, and then boom, I'm done. I don't have to unlock a phone. I don't have to you know. Well, there's Find a difference the program here or whatever. in that I wear skirts, and skirts almost never have pockets. For whatever mm, reason, right. the people who design skirts are like, they don't need pockets. Right. But some skirts actually do, and they're my favorite. But anyway. Plus, uh, women's clothes, when they do have pockets, they have girly pockets, and you can't put anything in them. I don't know. I've got a skirt that actually has like pretty deep, almost Jinko style pockets. That's unusual. It is. Yeah. And the other skirt that I had that had pockets was pretty similar. But anyway, so it's more it's not like it's hard to still reach into your purse and pull out a sheet of paper and scan it. It's just ever so slightly more convenient because your phone is probably already in an accessible place to start with. Okay. So it's not like it's a huge difference. It's just ever so slightly easier. But even easier... But now they're talking about facial recognition. Yes. Even easier would be just walking right by and letting the camera take a picture of your face. Not no, that I'm a fan you. of that. There's a certain level of convenience I'm just not interested in. I'm not interested in that either. If it's been a year or more since you traveled, especially internationally, which could be the issue, I have not traveled internationally, you may notice something different at airports in the United States. More steps from checking a bag to clearing customs are being automated using biometrics. Hmm. That hasn't been my experience at all. Okay. And I went through you know, the Atlanta airport. I didn't have to go through TSA at, at Atlanta, though, because the... the there was time for me to go out and smoke and still catch the flight, but the the sheer size of the airport and the hassle that it would have been, it yeah. just wouldn't have been worth it. Biometrics are unique individual traits like fingerprints that can be used to automatic to automate and verify identity. And these and there's been a push to do this for many years and now. Not just at the airports yeah, and the TSA, over. but your phone wants to scan your fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Please disable all of this stuff because if you get pulled over. That cop can easily use your fingerprint to unlock your phone. And if they have probable cause to search your vehicle, they can cook up some sort of probable cause to search your phone. So just don't use these technologies. They sound convenient, but they're enormous security risks. They promise both more security and efficiency in moving travelers through an airport where, at steps from check-in to boarding, passengers are normally required to show government-issued photo identification. In the travel hiatus caused by the pandemic, many many airports, airlines, tech companies, and government agencies continued to invest in biometric advancements. The need for social distancing and contactless interactions only added to the urgency. Hmm. I wish instead of investing in this nonsense, they would invest in a button that allows them to say, this is a trans person, you absolutely do not need to fill them up. But they don't have that button. Wait, why would being trans mean you don't have to get felt up? Okay. I mean, everybody can I, I get phrase felt that badly. up, right? By default, though, if you're trans and you go through TSA, you are going to get felt up. If okay. They, if they hit the male button, then the hooks in your bra will set it off. Mm. If they hit the female button, then your anatomy will set it Is off. Is that a thing? They have a button for different... Yes. Huh. And no matter which one of those two they hit, if you're a trans person, one way or the other... You're going to get felt See, up. See, I in the always next get part. felt up, and that's because I opt out of the scanner. I, I don't really mind the scanner, <laughs> but at this point of flying, I'm like, I know I'm going to get felt up anyway. So can I just go straight to that line and let's get this just over? Just say with? opt out. They'll put you right in that line. There's never a line. <laughs> no, you just there have isn't. to wait. 
the only yeah there was never been a lie that any yeah. assistance has happened but it's it's also kind of funny to me to watch the tsa agents figure out how to how to handle this do this as delicately as possible because mm-hmm. you know they probably expect someone to start flipping out right. and videotaping the whole thing and i'm just getting a kick out of it because it's funny but always a good time i wish they would invest in that instead of you know this biometric nonsense Oh, but it seems like the airlines, you know, just like the banks, like the airlines and the banks seem to be over the last two years, this COVID nonsense, the most government obedient of industries, right? Oh, banks have been insufferable. Yeah, all the all to the max, every single, you know, CDC guideline being followed to the T. It's just been absolutely sickening to watch this happen. And so it's no surprise that airlines are first and foremost to be adopting biometrics i mean banks did this also you know with thumbprints this was years ago banks started to uh, some banks started to implement thumbprints to access uh, various different services yeah th- through most of my life i just considered it, it normal to have to put your fingerprint on any check you were signing or depositing really because that wow. was that's that was the experience in Mississippi. That's I've got here in New Hampshire and never encountered yeah, that. Yeah, I've personally I've never encountered it. Um, but I remember seeing video. I think one of the first videos I ever saw of Alex Jones was from the '90s when he was like young, and he was doing a uh, back before the Russians invaded over the North Pole or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was, <laughs> he was doing like a, a public access show back then, and it was young Alex Jones inside some bank throwing a fit over <laughs> biometric uh, id and it was really entertaining like they were th- they wanted his thumbprint and he threw a fit about it well good for him so this, they, they've been working on this for a long time they absolutely have and it makes sense that you know banks and airlines would be the most obedient because banks in particular there's a huge list of regulations and licenses and stuff they have to have and if the yep. government thinks they're not sufficiently obedient they can threaten they're to done. yank any one of those yep. and they're just done but yeah, even the smaller credit unions around here in New Hampshire, they went full on psychosis with the COVID-19 lockdown. Oh, yeah. The bank I was using at the time, they completely closed their lobbies because evidently it's more important to prevent people from getting COVID-19 than it is to prevent the destruction of the environment. I'm not one of these environmentalists, right? But yeah. it, it can't be good for the environment to have 30 cars idling for hours at a time, just indefinitely, anytime they were open out there in their parking lot don't forget all the masks floating around everywhere that have been like dumped in waterways and things like that no you don't hear the environmentalists complaining about that do you no and that's one of the worst parts about walking my dog throughout keen is just Mm -hmm. all of the i'm constantly just saying leave it leave it because that's the command for her not to mess with there's just discarded masks everywhere so these technologies have gotten more sophisticated and the, the accuracy rate is much higher said robert tappan the managing director for the trade group some some governmental or quasi-governmental mm-hmm. agencies. I have to wonder whether or not he's including the giant discrepancy among success rates among white people and black people when it comes to these biometrics technologies. Because a, a number of years ago, I first became aware of this issue where, you know, just the standard sensor that exists in p- most public bathrooms that detects your hand or whatever to dispense soap or water or mm-hmm. paper towels, they just don't have a very high success rate for people who aren't white. Really? Yes. And I can't pull that up at the moment, but and so I don't remember the numbers, but it was alarmingly unsuccessful, like like to the extent that it gave the impression that they didn't even test this with any people who were black and instead wow. focused entirely on people who are white. I'll see if I can find that because That's that in and of itself was interesting and eye-opening. So I would be curious if they have the same issue with biometrics, but based on the history, I would suggest 
that is probably the case. But I'm against it. Biometric screening, not something I'm a fan of. 603-283-6160. Maybe you can convince me that I'm wrong and that this is actually much easier and much safer. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. If you want to do that, with you tonight, it's Aria. It's Ian. And we've been telling you about how Intercoin can help any business or organization launch their own currency or raise money using their own token. Well, Intercoin has finally launched its investor token worldwide, and for the first time, it's available on multiple exchanges. The easiest one is probably xmarkets.com. That's exmarkets.com. All you need there to sign up is an email address, which means you can actually keep your privacy intact in order to... Send, you can deposit different d- cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, trade them for Tether, and then use those to buy ITR. They're also on Uniswap. You can find links to all of that at their website. That's intercoin.org, I-N-T-E-R coin.org. Now, we were talking about the upcoming hellscape that is going to be facial recognition at airports, which sounds scary, but realistically, I don't think technology is anywhere to that point. And I brought up how... Even your your average, you know, faucet and soap dispenser in public bathrooms, you know, s- relatively simple but extremely common technology is not at a point where it's able to handle black Americans hmm. versus white Americans. And so I looked up a bit into that, and I have an article about it that I really think is more, worth more discussing than whatever nonsense the government has planned in the future because they've got all sorts of plans. They're the best plans, and absolutely nothing will go wrong, as always, but... Racist soap dispensers is what this headline is calling them in public bathrooms are not giving up their soap for black people. According to a viral YouTube video, the revelation could come as a relief for countless darker skinned people who thought they were going mad or being ignored. An African-American guest at a sci-fi convention in Atlanta did a test at the Atlanta Marriott along with his white friend to prove the soap dispensers would not recognize dark skin. The two can be heard laughing throughout the video, which clocked 3 million views. He told tech website Mike, I wasn't offended, but it was intriguing. Like, why is it not recognizing me? I tried all the soap dispensers in that restroom. There were maybe 10 and none of them worked, Hmm. but all 10 worked for his white friend. Anytime I went into that restroom, I had to have my friend get the soap for me. That's so crazy. I know. I mean, it's funny when you you know when you hear about this, but when you think about it in those terms, if this guy has to go to the bathroom, he doesn't have a white friend. He just can't have soap. Can't wash. Yeah, that's absurd. And even if he could get soap, how is he supposed to activate the sink? So this is using some sort of a camera. I would have expected they were using like. I don't know, a laser or some sort of radar or something. That's- they sort of are, and that's the issue. Richard Whitney from tech company Particle explained why soap dispensers and other technology have problems with darker skin types. He said, the soap dispenser uses near-infrared technology, which sends out invisible light mm-hmm. from an infrared LED bulb for hands to reflect the light back to a sensor. And black hands won't reflect it. Or at least not as much. Mm-hmm. The reason the soap doesn't just foam out all day is because the hand acts to more or less bounce back the light and close the circuit. 
Wow. If the reflective object actually absorbs that light instead, as a darker skinned home would, Mm -hmm. then the sensor will never trigger because not enough light gets to it. Wow. So I wonder how many soap dispensers are using this technology versus, say, using a motion detector technology, which should be able to detect. It seems like motion detector would also be easier. But which one's cheaper? More common? Yeah, I don't know. Which one's cheaper? Because some manufacturers want to go all the way cheap, right? And put the cheapest potential technology in there to lower their manufacturing costs. So that's probably a factor. It's just alarming to me that, you know, roughly 13% of the American population would like not even be factored into the design of this technology. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, if you're the person inventing this, you're like, okay, that the hands is going to reflect the IR light back. Okay, well, what about darker hands? Like 13% of the American population has. Nobody thought about that, apparently. Never even occurred to them. Hmm. The soap dispenser is another example of technology not recognizing different body types. In 2010, GadgetWise reported that the Xbox Kinect did not recognize the faces of dark-skinned gamers. Wow. Hewlett-Packard's uneven facial recognition software also had problems. And here's the worst one and the one why I wanted to carry on with this article. Google Photos auto-labeling system misidentified two black friends as gorillas. Oh my god. So when I hear stuff like this and I hear that the government and the TSA they plan to implement facial recognition technology, I'm mm. just like, yeah. No, you're not. They can't even figure out how I mean, if Microsoft can't figure out how to recognize black gamers, then the TSA who's not motivated to make a profit has no chance of figuring this out. Well, they're not going to do it themselves. They will hire a corporation and pay them big, big bucks, you know, from taxpayers to get the get whatever this technology is. And that that corporation will probably devise some sort of solution that works just fine for most white people, Mm -hmm. but doesn't ever actually factor into the reality that, you know, roughly half the population here in the United States isn't just white. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about the government and their facial recognition system, but they're working on iris scanning they've been touting it as the most foolproof yeah absolutely not man for biometrics to work you have to be able to match to a known trusted source of data because you're trying to compare it to a record on file the face is the easiest because all the documents we use that prove your identity driver's licenses passports etc rely on face and of course they already have a picture of your face that's why they they do that's why the tsa agent takes a look at your id and then looks at you and Mm -hmm. they go can you pull down your mask for me? And you go, fine, because you've got to get on your flight. Mm. So they already use this, but it's humans doing it, which I guess I'm less bothered by. It's never occurred to me to be concerned about handing someone my ID so they could verify that it's actually me. But that's yep. different than logging that in a computer. Well, they've been, by the way, you said you haven't done international travel, but... The uh, the process of coming back into the United States is pretty invasive. Um, they're not doing iris scans yet, but they are taking your photograph at some sort of like kiosk, basically. So as soon as you come back in, you you land at whatever international airport in the United States. They shuffle you off the plane. They you go through you know the tunnels or wherever it is. You finally get to this big room, and then there's a bunch of these kiosks, these sort of Orwellian techno kiosks that have cameras in them and they they take your picture and they print out a a piece of paper with your photo on it and then you have to go and see a bureaucrat after that and it's a very very invasive feeling very this is for even an american citizen with an american passport and everything that's right yeah in fact you have to put your passport on the device 
And so it scans the passport, then takes your picture. I can't fly internationally, but it sounds like at the moment because of legal conditions, but it sounds like a horrible process. Yeah. I mean, that's how they're treating an American citizen. Mm -hmm, That's correct. Someone who actually like live here and came here and for whatever reason, like, you know what? I like that tyranny. I want to go back. (laughs) Right. It's creepy. I'll tell you that. It's it's creepy. It sounds creepy. Yeah. These little kiosks, I, I can imagine. So some of this embrace may come from its everyday application, as we mentioned, using facial recognition to open your phone or access your banking app. I can't imagine most people are really going to take issue with this if they have to get their iris scanned at some sort of TSA checkpoint. I'm going to take issue with it, but most people are just going to you know, go along to get along, to get on their flight a little bit faster, not to cause any problems. I don't see this technology coming anytime soon, though, because of all of the problems with it. But I could be wrong, and I don't want to see it coming anytime soon. So I I choose to be hopeful. The U.S. government will collapse itself long before it has the ability to be this perverted and invasive of people's lives. You're right. 603-283-6160. If you want to join us, there's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, where you can take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever matters to you. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. And with you tonight, it's Ariane Ian, and we're giving away another BitBox here in the coming weeks. I actually, for Ukraine 79 out there, I actually got the shipping information for the the tracking information for the one that you won, I just have to Sweet. actually forward that to you because I didn't do it before I came here. So we're giving away another one. It's a hardware wallet, but unlike other wallets, Bitbox's software is 100% open source, which helps to avoid some of the problems that other hardware wallets sometimes have. If you want a chance to win one, all you have to do is join the AMPS program at amps.freetalklive.com. You don't have to take a screenshot. don't have to join any social media service. Just be on Patreon or create a Patreon account. It's super easy. And sign up to follow us or to support us there. That's amps.freetalklive.com. We'll be choosing one of our supporters at random on an episode of Free or Talk Live in the future. And although we like to be able to offer a bonus to our supporters, the real reason you should join is because you want to support the show. But hey, free hardware wallet wouldn't hurt. So check it out at amps.freetalklive.com. All of the amplifiers will be an automatic winner. Um, it will be eligible to be a winner whether you've been in the program since its inception or if you just joined just for the giveaway amps.freetalklive.com talking earlier about biometrics and stuff like that but you have a story about movie theaters and i like discussing things like that a lot more than i like discussing nonsense like covid19 and government lockdowns and just the fear and gloom I like stories about video games and movies and music and stuff like that because it's it's just more interesting to me on a personal level. Well, unfortunately, this story has to do with COVID-19 because basically the crackdown on business freedom is what has really harmed these uh, movie theater businesses. But haven't they been sort of going downhill for a long time yeah, anyway? Yeah, they have. And that is something that happened after the the crackdown, you know, from 2020 on COVID-19 or related to COVID-19 was a lot of the businesses that were going down, you know, over the, the last two decades started to go down much faster. And new, newspapers, for instance, were another example of that. Yeah. 
Um, and and movie theaters are in that same category of old media, something that was struggling in the last decade. And they tried to, of course, introduce 3D movies in, I think it was 2009, with uh, with Avatar as like, ooh, look, new reason to come to the theater. And that's basically I gone I remember now. that nonsense. And James Cameron was like, oh, 3D is not just a fad this time. This time it's here to stay. All of the movies are going to be in 3D well, from now on. It did take off for a little while. I mean, there were a lot of people... That uh, were producing 3D movies. There was a, a number of years there where I would say more movies were 3D than weren't. And now that's true, but it was still it's hard to fad. find one. Now it's hard to find a single 3D uh, movie that's out there right now. I think Saw 3D was the last 3D movie that I knew of existing at the time. I don't know, man. The Saw movies are a nightmare of con- continuity. I have no idea when Saw 3D came out. When I was on the uh, the Keen Cinemas website, which is our local, it's not a chain, it's just a local, you know, six cinema thing here, whatever you call it, six movie theater, uh, six theater cinema. Anyway, they have their uh, showtimes and they would put asterisks next to whatever ones were in 3D. And I was shocked to see that I think Dune had like two 3D showings on the first week of wow. of Dune being out there. And then the next week, there was nothing. And so it made me think, maybe somebody at the theater just made a mistake. Like, I couldn't <laughs> believe that, like, why would you have just two 3D showings and then not show 3D anymore? I mean, I guess they charged more for 3D, but now there's but not... But why? It can't be more expensive other than, like, having to wash the glasses afterward, right? I, I don't know. They always charged more for 3D. They did, but I never understood why. I mean, it costs more to produce the 3D movie, sure, but it doesn't cost more to show to it. show it, especially when it's all being shown on the same digital projectors. But now on their website, all they they say for pricing is new films are six dollars and fifty cents, and classic films are five dollars. So there's no that, longer. I paid more than that when I was a teenager going out on dates yeah. to the local theater, dude. It was like twelve dollars a ticket then. Yeah. So there's there's no longer a uh, 3D category for at all, like as far as price point. So I don't think they're showing 3D films. I think it was a fluke. I think somebody accidentally like hit the 3D button on the whatever form they're filling out because I've not seen a 3D movie. Maybe there's like maybe in big cities this is still happening. Maybe some movies are still being released in 3D. I'd be curious to know if that's the case, but I suspect it's like what happened with the 3D televisions. They manufactured them for a few years and then there just weren't enough people that were buying them and that was it. I don't know. Evidently, uh, Dune did have a 3D version. Okay. Well, then so maybe maybe they showed, showed th- you know two showings <laughs> for those that still care about 3D. And I'll say this: I thought it was a cool gimmick. You know, I to me it wasn't like ooh the best thing ever. It but was cool. It was cool. It wasn't like the technology wasn't fantastic. Sometimes the uh, I forget the effect. There was like a certain effect that I would get watching the 3D movies with these glasses, and I can't even, you know, I can't describe what it was. It was like this weird visual sensation or warping or something like that, and I could ignore it mostly and yeah. still enjoy the enjoy the movie. But I'm not sad to see it go. It doesn't really make the experience that much better. I honestly think Avatar was the only movie I watched in 3D. Oh, I've seen a bunch of them, and the rest of them I was just like, yeah, I'm not interested. But I, I wasn't watching a lot of movies then. I do want to see the new Dune movie. After it looks good. Conan talks so much about Dune, but I've never seen the original though, so I don't. I won't be able to compare. I haven't either, but I feel like I would be disappointing Conan if I didn't read the books first. Oh, okay. Or at least the first book first. Mm-hmm. So watching the actual movie is on the back burner. Plus, there's... how many books are there? 
I don't know. Mm. A lot. Okay, so you haven't started yet then? No. Okay. No, definitely not. It's It sounds interesting, though, and it sounds like something that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just reading a book is a monumental time sink. You know, reading sure. a book takes a lot of time. Watching a movie takes like two hours. Right. And that's one of the reasons I generally prefer books to movies, but I don't have, you know, the time to you sit prefer around. prefer books to movies? Yes. Okay. But I don't have, you know, 17 hours to sit around reading a book like I did back when I was 16. Yeah. So you got to make sacrifices. So here's a story from, uh, in this case, the New York Times, thanks to archive.ph for getting us by that nasty old paywall. Uh, Los Angeles, about 49% of pre-pandemic moviegoers are no longer buying tickets. Some of them, roughly 8%, have likely been lost forever. To win back the rest, multiplex owners must urgently rethink pricing and customer perks in addition to focusing on coronavirus safety. See, I don't know about that last one, but the rest of it, I, I certainly get. I, there's not much reason when the average American already has, you know, a sound bar and a subwoofer, because for whatever reason, surround sound systems sort of went away, and they're kind of hard to find. Really? Yeah. When I was looking for my be- for my bedroom, I was just shopping around, you know, local places. You mean like here. a one by like one box, yeah. all the speakers, the the uh, the receiver, all in one box kind of systems. Yeah. Hmm. And they just completely phased out at all these stores. Your options were a sound bar that comes with a subwoofer, and that was pretty much it. Huh. You could go online and buy one still. Sure. But you couldn't find one of the stores like you could back in the early 2010s or yeah. whatever. I found that to be a curious transition, but. Whatever, not a big deal. The average American does have a somewhat decent sound system. Do they, though? How do you know that? I don't know that. I'm just sort of assuming. Okay. I know they have a decent television. Well, yeah, because all televisions these days are decent, but a lot of televisions have crap speakers in them, and, you know, I don't know. I'd be interested to find out how many Americans are suffering with bad audio from their television speakers and have not bought a sound bar, as you describe it. See, I can't imagine it's very many, and I, and I realize that I treat audio differently from the mm-hmm. average American, but... So do I. I didn't even have a television. Which is why I don't make presumptions about what the average American's doing. Yeah, and I'm rethinking that now, but... I didn't even have a television for the longest time, mm-hmm. and now I do. And like within the first five minutes of trying to use the television speakers, I was like, no, 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 this has to change. And I ended up buying a better sound system just because the quality of the built-in television speakers are... It's crap. It's absolutely awful. Yeah. I'd rather sit there with a pair of headphones on. <laughs> right. Like a $5 pair of headphones from Walmart would be better. So I don't, I don't know what percentage of Americans are actually like, oh my God, this sounds terrible, but... But how many Americans for years just sufficed with a 20-inch screen with whatever speaker was in that screen, an old CRT set in the 1980s and and 90s? I mean... I don't know. I'm really hoping I can can dig up some information on this, because now I'm really curious. I'm curious to see if anybody's done any studies. But we can talk more about what's happening with theaters. They're in a tough uh, tough spot financially. Hopefully, they'll continue on, because I think it's an industry worth seeing. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Aria and Ian, and I want to say thank you to Colby Keddington, who is tonight's amplifier. This means that Colby Keddington is eligible to win the BitBox that we're going to be giving away soon, but it also means that Colby has chosen to give money to the AMPS program to join our Patreon. You can find it at amps.freetalklive.com. It only costs $5 per month. That gets you in. And it comes with a number of cool little features like this giveaway that we're doing, but also an AMP-only chat on our Matrix server, an AMP-only Facebook group, 
and some cool stuff like that. But really, you should join because you like the show. You want to help the ideas of liberty reach larger audiences like Kobe here has done. Kobe is a gold level amplifier, which is $10 per month. We don't ask that again. It's just 5 bucks per month. That gets you in. So thank you, Kobe, for your uh, contributions. We hope you continue supporting the show. And having now looked into it as best as I can, it seems I was wrong. Soundbar penetration has, soundbar technology has penetrated roughly 20% of households in the United States. There was also a lengthy thing that I looked at about why the soundbar replaced the surround sound system. And it was ultimately because movies and televisions didn't really ever put to use the multi-channels, the rear speakers, the front speakers, always just left or right speaker when it came to movies and televisions. And this is why I probably never noticed that because so much of my use of surround sound... Well, that's is, not true of movies. Movies are do they all, all encoded with surround sound okay. and have been for many years. Um, but television, I think probably you're, you're more likely to see less of that. Absolutely. But video games certainly mm-hmm. use full surround sound features, and that was probably why I never noticed it, or just because a lot of music does as well. If you listen to you know complex musical arrangements, you're going to find it on the latest Taylor Swift album, but you'll find plenty of arrangements that do use full surround sound. So I was wrong. According to, by the way, this a study over at grandviewresearch.com, this was published in August of 2019, and looking at uh, data from 2018, they say that 40% of U.S. households have some form of a home theater system. Now, that is broken down into three different categories. The home theater in a box that you were referring to in the last segment, that seems to have gone out of style. At least you can't find it at uh, at stores anymore. That's actually the super majority of uh, looks like close to – they're not showing the actual percentages. There's like a, just a graph, like a uh, pie graph, but it looks like it's close to almost 75% of of wow. the market have remember that's of the 40% right so 40% have home theater of that 40% 75% of them have the home theater in a box now i'm surprised by that because when i was setting up my bedroom i opted for just the soundbar and the subwoofer because it was just for watching movies and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i didn't care anyway but when i built the actual movie area i just hand built my own surround sound system that would be what's called a component system, and that is the least popular uh, way of setting up a home theater. Well, yeah, it's not easy. You have Correct. to know what you're doing. But that was yeah. because when I looked on Amazon for like a 7.1 system, they wanted like $6,000 and stuff like that. And That's I don't nuts. know if it's just because Amazon lost their mind and was only showing me the ultra high-end models or what, but I was like, uh, no, I can get these speakers here and do this myself. Uh, and so soundbar is the second most popular method with about, I'm going to say, a little less than 25% of the uh, the home theater market is using the soundbar at this point. At so, least in so people prefer simplicity over better quality, I'm guessing? Simplicity it makes sense. I mean, for the reasons you're pointing out, if they you know don't really care about getting the surround, but they want better than the TV speakers, the soundbar is easy to do. You don't have to run cables around the living room or whatever. So it's a, it's a simple way to get better sound in one step. Yeah, but it's not as good. It's better than the TV. It is better than the TV. I, 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 cannot, I cannot believe that roughly 60% of Americans are watching movies using speakers that sound like Coca-Cola cans. <laughs> that, that hurts me on so to many levels. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's what will keep the movie business in business because... I mean, the, that should be the number one advertisement. Hey, are you sick of listening through your movies through a Coke can? Right. <laughs> Come We've listen got to real them here. speakers. 
and so right now, according to the story over at the New York Times, the business of the movie theater business is having a difficult time. And as you pointed out, Aria, it was troubled before COVID-19. Attendance was declining. Streaming services were, of course, taking off. And it has struggled to rebound from coronavirus forced closings in 2020. Over the weekend, ticket sales in the U.S. and Canada stood at roughly $96 million, compared with $181 million over the same period in 2019. So that is a huge uh, drop in revenue. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, the last movie that I think I went and saw in theaters, that well, other than Free Guy, mm-hmm. would have been one of the... Harry Potter movie sequels. I don't remember exactly. So you, watch, you watched Fantastic a classic. Be- no, yeah. it was Fantastic Beasts or something like that. Okay. It was one of the newer ones. But one of the $5 showings that they have there. No, it was one no. of the newer ones. This was like two, maybe three years ago. Oh, you ago. mean you saw it brand new. I yeah. see. And there was like me, my date, and maybe three other people in the audience. So this was yeah. the opening night of the movie. The only time I've ever seen a line outside of the Keen Cinemas was for the first of the newer Star Wars that came out, The Force Awakens, there was a line for that one. Okay. Well, that's the only time I've seen it. That was like, what, a decade ago now at this point, or almost, you know, several years ago. God, yeah. Most of a decade. And so I have not seen it. Now, then again, like, I, you know, I'm not the guy who goes on a Friday night, because I'm usually here working, or sure. a Saturday night for that matter. So maybe there are some nights where it's actually busy. The times I go, it's like what you're describing. There's usually never more than a spattering of people in the in the theater. Yeah, in general, I wouldn't want to go to a movie theater on a Friday night. I get the experience of, you know, enjoying movies with others, all that. Yeah. But, but when you're talking 50, 60, 70 people, uh, no, there's probably going to be some idiot there being too loud. Or a crying baby or yeah. something like that. And these are a lot of reasons why the business was having a difficult time to begin with, right? Because you can control your environment at home. You can pause the movie if you have to go pee or whatever. You know, it's That it's is just, a good feature, right? Yeah. Being able to just pause the movie and the, walk away. The popcorn's not $20 or whatever the hell it is they're charging for uh, concessions these days. It's a lot of reasons to not go to the theater. But uh, revenues are down big time, and the study was published by Quorum, a film research company. Uh, According to the story here, they run this survey once a quarter. Quote, the research clearly shows theaters are suffering because the pandemic intensified, accelerated, amplified all of the national trends that were already underway, the study authors said. That is the definition of a perfect storm. Not that various problems exist at the same time, but they have an intensifying effect on each other. Unquote. The nation trends, rising ticket and concession prices, decreasing experiential value, including the perception that moviegoing has become a hassle. The rundown state of shopping malls, which house many theaters. A generational shift towards streaming, gaming, and other smartphone-based entertainment. But why anyone would think they can replace the moviegoing experience by watching on a smartphone, I just, that's like, doesn't make sense to me. I don't get that one. Quote, before, maybe you went every now and again, overlooking the drawbacks, the author said. Now you add safety concerns to that mix, if you're a pussy. And you suddenly what are the become- drawbacks of going to the, having to drive to the movie theater? That's, that's one. That's not... You know, wait in line, potentially. Like you mentioned, crying babies, somebody kicking the back of your seat. I mean, there's, a, there's potential drawbacks to going and seeing a movie. I guess, but they're so minor compared to what you get in return that... Watching it through your television speakers and listening to it through your television speakers, it's not even close. No. Yes. So I, I tend to agree with you that, it, you know, if I want to go see a movie 
in the best possible format, I'm going to go to the theater. It still is the best experience, as long as it's not a crappy experience, which it can be ruined by a large crowd of people being unruly or whatever, or somebody's on their phone or whatever the problem is. Thankfully, the the groups of people watching are so small and keen. I've not had a bad <laughs> issue with like bad people you know, at the theater. Uh, there was one person who was, I think, a little not so smart that was in the theater i think during free guy or something or maybe it was during no it was during gremlins you weren't there for that bonnie and i were there was somebody who was let's say a little less than with it uh mentally in the theater sort of making comments aloud but it wasn't a huge it wasn't a huge issue but you never know who you're gonna get back there well a lot of the time some um, a, a lot of the appeal of watching movies with friends is making these sorts of comments throughout the movie but that's true. But in those circumstances, you sort of expect that you don't do it in public at the movie theater. The research company surveyed a bunch of people, uh, 2,500 plus, that visited a uh, theater in 2019. Some bought a ticket once a week. Others went once a month. Others went several times per year. About what 50- was showing in 2019? Oh, I'm know. thinking 2020. Never mind. But about 51% of respondents said they had bought tickets in recent months with some drawn by Cinema Chain Rewards programs. Those are largely white men, ages 25 to 45, who live in cities, according to the author. Once you get outside of that demographic, you're really starting to lose people, he said. The 49% no longer buying tickets were more likely to be in favor of a vaccine mandate for attendees. This group, predominantly female, was also more likely to be concerned about price and value. Still, he They're noted, also the ones who aren't watching movies, though, right? Is that not what he said? That's what he was saying. Yeah. And they're, uh, you know, cowards. Yeah. So. Well, clearly. Uh, anyway, that's pretty much it. They're having a difficult time and... I wish them the best. I mean, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see them go away. I don't either, but the, the $12 for a small bucket of popcorn is not helping things. I haven't bought a, a movie theater concession in I don't know how long. Yeah, I haven't either. I can't imagine anyone who still does. Somebody must, because that's what keeps them in business. But we're out of time for tonight. You can join us in the meantime on our chat server at chat.freetalklive.com.